that as we open up your word, uh, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us. And as Aaron said, do surgery in our hearts where it needs to be. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you are students of war, but if, you, if you've ever studied war, you probably have heard the stories of those who have fought in battles after the war has officially come to an end. Uh, from the world wars that we know of, our own civil war here, there are, there are battles and there are even deaths that occur in battle after a war has been declared over by the, by the leaders of each side. In the Civil War, these, the signatures were signed in Appomattox Courthouse, bringing the war between our nations north and our nations south to a close, and yet battles continued. And yet, regardless of how many southern battles were won, it was irrelevant because it had already been decided. In Galatians chapter 5, if you were with us last Sunday, Paul sought to remind the Galatian believers of the freedom that they had in Christ that Christ had given them. When Jesus spoke the words from the cross, it is finished, he was declaring that the, the victory was his. Satan had been defeated and the work of redemption was complete. Meaning that Nothing needed to be added to the work that Jesus had just finished. It is finished. And, and yet there's many people in this world who assume that, that their salvation, their redemption is up to their good works. This constant scale of justice, you know, if I can, if I can weigh down with good works, then I'm in a good place to die. If I face God while my works are heavier than my evil deeds, I'm in a good place. And, and you know what? God will probably bless me. But, you know, if it gets out of whack and all of a sudden I'm, I'm living a life that is not pleasing to God, then I'm not in a good place to stand before him in judgment at that moment. We have these constant scales of justice, but, but here's what we have to do. When Jesus from that cross uttered the words, it is finished, we either have to believe it or not. And if Jesus said the work is finished, and we don't bring a thing to salvation of our own, But when we live with the mindset that our works contribute to our salvation, it's like we're fighting a battle that has already been declared over. And so I think it's real important for all of us to understand as believers. As we live out our Christian lives, we must understand that our good works do not matter to or towards our salvation. But they do matter after our salvation. Some very smart people would call this sanctification. That as we, as we are, after we're saved by Christ, we begin the process of becoming more like Christ. And so last week, I want to go back to just to one verse that we looked at last week, and that's Galatians 5, 6. And, and, and here, if you weren't here, what Paul was trying to really get accomplished uh, in the minds of the Galatians is that 
Works are important, but not in the way that you might think. He said, in Christ Jesus, meaning those who are in Christ, neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. And circumcision is an actual work of the law. It's a good work that people would do, but it was to sum up all of the law. Paul said, if you're in Christ, whether you're circumcised or not, it means nothing. That means that work means nothing if you're in Christ. But then he comes over here and he says, but the, there is something that does matter. The only thing that matters to those in Christ is your faith. And he makes sure that we understand what faith is. It's not just a cognizant belief. Faith expressing itself through love. Those are good works. These works to your salvation don't matter, but these works that are based in faith and expressed in love do matter, which, which helps us then take this thought. My good works don't result in a better standing with God. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a better relationship with God because of my good works. But my good works do reveal my understanding of God. That he has called me, as Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, he has called me unto good works. That he has prepared for me beforehand. So my, my good works don't bring me to God, but my good works do reveal whether I'm following God. Does that make sense? Okay. And so I think it's very, this, this was so clear to me as I was studying last week with the, the, the woman who threw her two mites, two, two pennies into the offering. And, and Jesus said, this woman standing around all these rich Pharisees, this woman's given more than all of you because like God was, what Jesus was seeing was that you're giving, you're doing these good works and I know why you are because you want everyone around you to see those good works. They don't help you. This woman, she dropped two pennies in but I could see her heart. She's not doing good works to show you anything. She's doing good works to show God, I am going to give you everything I have because that's how much I trust you. And so it's not about what we give. In many ways, it's about what we're not willing to give. This is tension. This tension that Paul is going to talk about today, that as we keep going in Galatians 5, this tension about good works don't help me secure my salvation, but good works do demonstrate whether I'm following the one who did secure my salvation. It doesn't help me with God, but it shows whether I'm following him. And we, start, we, 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 we covered through verse 9 last week. So we're going to begin in verse 10, but I'm going to back up and start in verse 7. So as we read into verse 10, we have some context here. So verse number 7 of Galatians chapter 5. And again, we covered 7 through 9, so I'm not going to repeat those. We're just going to pick up in verse 10. It says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now again, we covered all that last week, so let's begin in verse number 10. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Let me pause in verse 10. So what Paul's doing is he's expressing confidence in these believers, saying, I know you're going to do the right thing, so I'm confident in you, but I'm also going to tell you this. The person who is teaching you, who is confusing you, they're going to pay for that confusion. It means those of us who stand before people with the word of God, we have to understand we're going to be held accountable for what we teach. Verse 11. 
Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Let me pause there again. I'm sorry. I don't have the, the right verse up there. Do I? Do I have the right verse up there? Yes. So halfway down, it says, brothers and sisters, if I'm, still being, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? And here's what Paul was asking. Paul was still being persecuted by the Jews, the same Jews who were saying, likely to the Galatian believers, Paul says you should get circumcised. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, I'm not saying that. And I want you to know that. And I know that I'm not saying the same thing as them because they're still persecuting me. But then he makes this statement. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And here's what Paul's saying. If you know, understand what circumcision is, and we are not going to get into a biology lesson today, but if you understand what circumcision is, it's a mark on your flesh. And Paul's saying, if you somehow think a mark on your flesh means something then what you're doing to your righteousness, then what you're doing is you're taking all the marks of the flesh that Jesus suffered and you're saying, oh, those don't really matter as much. It, it, it's, it's, it's like this. It's like each time that, that we point to our good works as a means of righteousness, and for the Judaizers, it was circumcision. But each time we point to our good works as a means of righteousness, what we're doing is we're minimizing the good works of Jesus as our righteousness. Right? Do, you, do you want to stand before God saying, well, let me tell you all the things I did for you, God? Or do you want to stand before God saying, uh, I'm standing in the righteousness of your son, Jesus? Is that, that's not a difficult question to answer, right? That's not a difficult question. So if we're going to stand before God with the righteousness of his son, then we're not worried about our righteousness. We're not worried about what we've done because when we start talking about what we've done, we diminish the work that Jesus has done for us as our righteousness. And Paul, like he gets really personal here. Verse 12. As for those agitators, this means as for those people who are stirring the pot, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, I'm not going to try to explain that in detail. But Paul was basically saying, if you think a small little mark of circumcision means something, if it's dependent on what you do, why don't you just go the whole way? That's rough. But, but, but it's, it's, it makes so much sense. Like if, if my righteousness is based on what I do, why am I going only at it half-heartedly? Jamie and I were in Dulles Airport when we went back to see her mom at the beginning of, or at the end of October. In Dulles Airport, there are some, some escalators, and in between the escalators are a set of steps. Well, I looked at the escalator and I looked at the steps and I'm like, well, I'm going to take the steps because this is really going to help me out. I walked up the steps. It probably took me um, 15 seconds to walk up the steps. And I'm like, yeah, see, this is, this is what good, this is what people who are in shape, this is what we do. And then I, then I got to the gate and, and ordered a Whopper. You in or not, right? If, you're, if, if, if you think walking up some steps is going to really help you after you eat, it's like, it's like getting the value meal 
at McDonald's, the super value meal at McDonald's, but with a Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, like, did, and Paul's saying, look, if, if you are gonna, if you're gonna depend on your own righteousness, man, you just better be all in. And it's, it's like this, it's like, like, how do we somehow think that we're gonna stand before God one day and say, yeah, okay, so um, here's, here's what I did for you, Lord. I mean, at least five times a year, I opened a Bible. And I went to church when I felt like it. And I, hey, at least once a month, I dropped 20 bucks in the offering plate. Oh, and remember those times I prayed because I needed something? We're not going to stand before God and tell him all these measly things that we did, but if somehow we think that it's our righteousness that God's going to look at one day, why are we not all in? Like, we should be living in the church if it was up to us. We should be keeping 10% and giving away 90% if, if it was really up to our righteousness. And, and this is what Paul's trying to convince them. Like, if you're going to be all in on you, you better be all in, and you're not. Look at verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And now notice the tension that immediately starts. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, 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 we have to talk about the tension in these verses. First, Paul's like, hey, you are called to be free. But as soon as he says you're free, he says, oh, but you're not free to do that. So wait, am I free or am I not free? Well, if you were here last week, remember we said that we live in America. We call it the land of the free, Right? We sure do have a lot of incarcerated people in the land of the free. And that's because they were given freedom that they abused so they no longer have freedom. And Paul was trying to say, hey, church, hey, hey, Galatian believers, God saved you from sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin. He saved you from that, but he didn't save you to set you free like a mouse to just run wherever you want. He saved you in order for you to follow him. So what is our freedom? Well, verse 14. We are free to serve one, I'm sorry, uh, end of verse three, 13. We are free to serve one another humbly in love. Wait a second. Okay, tension again. Freedom and servant. Again, you don't see that in the same sentence. Well, except with God. Because the kingdom of heaven is flipped up and down. The greatest will be the servant. And we really see it in the life of Jesus. Can I read you what, what, what we read about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2? And I want you to notice what Paul, how Paul sets this up. He's going to talk about Jesus, but he starts it off with these words. 
in your relationships with one another. Okay, so he's not just saying like, hey, as you live on your own, he's saying in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of, as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Okay, remember now as we go. Rather, he, this is God, he, the Son of God, made himself freedom. He had the freedom to make himself nothing. He, the Son of God, had the freedom to take the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he, with the freedom he was given as God, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. And we see that this is who Jesus is. Like Jesus is God, and yet he takes on the form of a servant, and he becomes, he humbles himself, takes on the form of a servant, and he becomes obedient and Paul is saying, and you, hey, in your relationships with one another, you do that. So as Jesus used his freedom to serve one another, we then, as believers and followers of Jesus, are to use our freedom that we've been free from, freedom to follow Jesus, we're to use that to serve one another humbly in love. Oh, we're using our freedom to serve one another so that God is glorified and Jesus is magnified. Because that's exactly, if we were to keep reading Philippians 2, that's exactly what happens. It's like this. Have you ever, have you ever been the answer to someone's prayer? That is, I mean, that is the most amazing I've, I've shared this with you before. This is not about me. It's, it's just it's such an interesting thing that took place in my life. When I was in Bible college, I was walking in our church, and, and we had a very, very wide auditorium. And so I walked in the door way over there, and, and I saw my old Bible teacher. His name was Tim Harrell. He was sitting way over there on the, on the back, against the back wall. And the Lord immediately put into my head, give him $20. I wasn't planning to do it. It wasn't a thought that I had. The Lord put it in my, my head. And when you're in Bible college, 20 bucks is a lot, right, Trevor? 20 bucks is a lot. So, like, I was like, eh. But I, I did. He started walking toward the middle. I started walking toward the middle. We met not close. We met real close to the pulpit. I, I shook put my hand in, and I shook my hand with a $20 bill in it. Shook his hand. Just kept walking. I didn't even talk. I didn't stop and talk to him. I just said, hey, Mr. Harrell. And he said, hey, Brian, and he walked away. The next Sunday, that was Wednesday night, the next Sunday, one of my other school teachers walked up to me and stuck their hand out to shake my hand. And I shook their hand, and they looked down like this, and they said, oh, I guess it doesn't work for all of us, huh? <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. She's like, oh, well, let me tell you what Mr. Harold told us. On Thursday, he had devotions with all the teachers. It was his turn to lead. And he told us what happened on Wednesday night that he was, he was sitting in the back of the auditorium and he was preparing his heart for the other's offering that we were going to take. 
So he, he said, Lord, what do you want me to give? Asking the spirit. And he took out his wallet and he opened his wallet. He had a $1 bill and a $5 bill in his wallet. And he's looked at them both. He said, $1 just doesn't seem like much. But, you know, when you're a Christian school teacher, $5 seems like a lot. He's like, but the Lord said, give five. And he's like, but Lord, and the Lord said, give five. So he took the $5 bill out of his pocket, he put, or out of his wallet, he put into his pocket to give in the offering. He said, and I got up to walk to my seat. And as I was walking to my seat, I met Brian Hasse in the front of the auditorium. He shook my hand and put a $20 bill in my hand. I just kept walking. And he said, I stood there and looked at the $20, realizing it was just moments ago when I actually did what God asked me to do. I gave the five and look at what God's already done. I didn't know that. I was just, I was just obeying the spirit. But when I heard that, I was like, Dude, that is so awesome. Like I, like, I got to be a part of God's plan in helping somebody. How much better does it get? Sometimes, you know, though, we have this idea that God just wants to use us, but can I, can I maybe change that, just, just that word just a little bit? Like God's not using us like he uses a tool just to pound something and then he discards it. He's not using us to accomplish his will. He's inviting us to partner with him in accomplishing his will, both in the lives, both in our lives and in the lives of others. Because I'm going to tell you something, even though it was a blessing to Tim Harold to receive 20 bucks, it was a greater blessing to Brian Hasse to know that God was allowing me to be a part of what he was wanting to do in someone else's life. That was so cool. That's what God wants us to do as we as we're saved from and given freedom to follow Christ because what he's going to do is he is going to lead us into actions of good works for other people. I, I want to take you to another tension, though, of, of what we just read. Paul says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Does, does, does that, like, make anybody else kind of go like... Wait, wait, wait a second. That's not what Jesus said. And when Jesus talked about the law, he, Jesus said, well, yeah, we can sum up the whole law. He says it in the gospel of Matthew to the lawyer who asked, what's the great commandment? He's like, well, I can sum up the whole thing. He's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. And, and the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus doesn't use this to sum up the whole law. Paul does. And I'm like, initially I was like, well, wait a second, like what? What about loving God? And then, then and again, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here because I, I can't crawl into Paul's mind, but here's, here's, just, here's what could be. Paul was talking to people who thought they did love God through these religious works. Since they were already of this mindset that they want to love God, he was correcting the way that one does love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't love God by doing good works of righteousness to point to yourself, but you do love God by loving a neighbor as you love yourself because that's what Jesus did for us. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this, this, this makes it so practical. Do I want to live out the law? Do I want to, do I want to follow Jesus? Well, 
then I just have to step into the needs of someone else in the same way I would want someone to step into my need. Because it's like, it's like your love for a God that you cannot see, it should be evident through works of love for neighbors you can see. We all love God. Where's the evidence? Well, the evidence isn't just in showing up for church. The evidence is coming together in the church and offering acts of love to one another within and without the church. But, but here's the thing. You have to go back to the word freedom. By loving someone with good works, God has given you freedom. And what I mean by that is you don't have to do what someone else does. So there's not a person in this room, my guess, not a person in this room that could have helped me last Tuesday when I was calling around trying to, trying to find a way that I could get Trevor in for surgery. But there was one young lady who actually worked in the orthopedic office in UVA who she could help me. And when I reached out to her, you know what she didn't do is she didn't offer me $50. She didn't say, I, I'm just gonna pray for you. She's like, hey, I'll tell you what, I, I'll tell you here's what I would do. If this was me, huh, that's what I want to hear. And that's what she did. You, you know, could you imagine, could you imagine what would happen if this whole, ch if everybody in this church said, I am going to, in the spirit, follow Jesus to do what he calls me to do that he has already gifted me to do. It, it'd be like this. It'd be like finding someone in the church that had a need. And we all said, okay. How can we love this man or this woman as ourselves? You know what it wouldn't mean? It wouldn't mean everybody would take money out of their pocket and give it to them. It wouldn't mean that. Because there's got to be someone in here. And I'll tell you, one of the most comforting things that, that, that somebody said to me during the time when I was a little bit frantic last week is, hey, don't forget, he's, he's God's son more than your son. I needed that to be said to me. That was a good I had a few people text me. Some people pray. I had a man stop by the office on Thursday and say, hey, the Lord put on the, on the heart of my heart and on my wife's heart, and we would like to give you this check to go towards Trevor's expenses, $500. Everyone can't do that, but you have the freedom not to do that. You have the freedom to step in to help someone however God leads you to help someone. The alternative? Well, Paul tells us what the alternative is. If we're not going to love our neighbor as ourselves, what we're going to do is we're going to start biting and devouring one another and start destroying one another. It's so funny. So, so, so I, I told you recently that um, I read this book called uh, Praying Like Monks and Living Like Fools. And, and that book really helps me stop every so often. And, and I have a, a reminder on my phone and it just says, listen. And all I'm doing is I'm, I'm saying, I stop and I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Last Tuesday morning, I was up at Mount Zion and I was walking around and I did my time of prayer and I went to the fence and I put my, put my arms on the fence and I was like, Lord, I'm ready to listen. What do you want to say to me? Now, the week before when I asked that question, he used some cows and he used these cows to, to try to help me understand that it's, it's important to wait for the father. It's got something. 
So, so he used that. So, so this, this week, I'm like, Lord, man, what do, what do you want to say to me? I got my hands on the fence right here, and my eyes were immediately drawn to the ground where there was the largest pile of cow poop <laughs> right in front of me. And I was like, I'm not really sure if you want to speak to me through a cow poop. I'm going to look around at these beautiful mountains, the trees, the sky, hey, Lord, anything else? And it just kept zeroing back on, no, I'm going to talk to you through that poop. All right, what do you want to say to me? And he reminded me that somebody, I couldn't remember who, he reminded me that somebody had actually said, used a great spiritual application about cow poop. But I'm sitting there like, I can't, I can't remember who this, I can't, who said that? I, what did they say? I couldn't remember it. So you know how the Lord works. This is so cool. Donnie Lamb, my dear friend who's preaching right now down in Rileyville Gospel Church, he meets me up there occasionally. We pray together, and he was coming that morning to, to, to meet me, and I, I spent some time alone, and then Donnie came up there, and we, were, we actually were sitting together, and I, I, I wasn't going to tell him about my, my cow poop because I just thought this is just, this is just between me and the Lord. Yeah. Uh, and, I'll, and, and, and then the Lord provoked me. Tell him. And I'm like, Donnie, so you know how I told you I've been listening to the Lord? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, the Lord spoke to me this morning with poop. And he said, uh, he's like, okay. I'm like, I don't know. I said, there was this pile right in front of me. And I know somebody has told me. And as soon as I said that, I'm like, oh, you're the one who told this to me. Do, do you remember telling me something like a few months ago about cow poop. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what did you say? He's like, uh, yeah, that Christians, Christians are a lot like cow poop. When you, when you get a bunch of them together and they just sit there, they kill everything around them. But when you spread them out, they make everything better. That was it. That was exactly what you said. That's what I needed to hear because, hey, I'm preaching in Galatians and Paul actually says you have the choice either to go serve and love people or you're going to start biting and devouring one another. What? That was exactly it, Donnie. God was so good speaking to me through poop and for my, with my friend, man. I love it. I love it. We're about to close, right? But, uh, but before I do, I, I have to read you. Wait, wait, don't, don't shut your Bibles because I, I have to read you. We're going to read three more verses of Galatians. But before we get there, I'm going to just read you a short passage from Titus. If you remember, and Aaron, Aaron, thank you for bringing up my statement about hope uh, last week when I said the commanders had no hope and then they actually won and then the Cowboys lost and it just ruined everything for me. But uh, we talked last week about hope, and we said hope isn't something you want to happen. Hope is something I know is going to happen. We're just waiting for it. And that hope is, the blessed hope is, is the return of Christ. But when Paul talks about that blessed hope in Titus, he uses such incredibly paralleled language to what he's saying in Galatians. So here's what I want to read to you. Here's, here's what he says in Titus 2. He said, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We know that, right? It is by grace you have been saved. Amen. But here's what also he says. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no. Oh, wait, we have to say no to something? I thought we had freedom. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God that saved you is also the same grace that is telling you how to live. It is telling you no. 
while we wait for the blessed hope. That blessed hope is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Oh, how cool that he, we're going to be his very own. But notice those last couple words. Eager, eager, excited, like I can't wait, eager to do what is good. It's just like the grace of God is more than just salvation. The grace of God says no to ungodliness. It reminds us of Christ's work of redemption, and it moves us to be excited and, and eager to, to, to good works. So Miss Carolyn gave me a book recently, and it was called He Is Not Ashamed. And the overarching theme of the book, He Is Not Ashamed, is the, the family picture of Jesus. This is such a good book. And it says if, if you were to look at the family photo of Jesus, there'd be some really interesting characters in there, right? There'd be, there'd be some rebels. There'd be some murderers. There'd be some people who had nothing to offer. There, there were some of his, his very own enemies. There are people in his picture who still sin. But here was the cool thing. He's not ashamed that you're in his family. And he doesn't put the picture in the back room. He puts the picture on the front wall. And I was like, man, it is so good to be reminded that Jesus loves our mess because we're all a mess. How good that Jesus loves that mess. But when you get into the last chapter, he goes and he asks this one question, but is there anyone Jesus is ashamed of? And you're like, well, of course not. I mean, if, if, if Saul makes it into his family, he's not ashamed of anybody. If Adam makes it into the family, he's not ashamed of anybody, right? But he said, yeah, actually, Jesus, there is a group of people Jesus is ashamed of. And it like kind of caught my like, oh, wait a second, Jesus is ashamed of somebody? And he quoted Luke chapter 9, which are the words of Jesus himself. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. There's a, hey, hey, let me just pause. There's a lot of people who are trying to say that what the Bible says doesn't matter. There's a lot of Christians who seem to be ashamed of the word of God. That's dangerous, people. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes. That's a blessed hope. When he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's like, Jesus is ashamed of people. He's ashamed of people who are ashamed of him. Well, who's going to be ashamed of Jesus? Well, those who reject Jesus. And when we reject Jesus, we reject the grace of Jesus. And when we reject the grace of Jesus, we are saying, I don't need you. I got this. And he says, if you got this, you're going to stand before my Father, and you're going to stand before judgment in your own works, and you are going to be ashamed. And, and, and the author, he made this one last statement. I'm almost done, please. He made this one last statement. When you scan over the family picture of Jesus, you'll find imperfect people. You'll find people who rebelled and sinned against God, but you'll find people who, in the end, submitted to God's word in their lives. They valued his lordship and embraced his authority over them. What does it look like to live in the freedom that Christ has given us from sin and to follow him? Is it, is it the freedom to constantly fight temptation? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, I think, I think we get it really mixed up sometimes. But Paul gives us the answer, and I'm, gonna, I'm just about done. So I say, he says, back to Galatians. 
walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you know what we do? We try to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, don't worry about that. Walk in the Spirit. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But, but if you are led by the Spirit, woo, here we go. You are not under the law. You have freedom when you walk with the Spirit. Freedom. Saved from sin, freedom to walk in the Spirit. And you know what the Spirit is going to do? The Spirit is going to move you into opportunities of good works to love your neighbor. Man, good truth. But the question is, are we going to be hearers of the Word or doers of the Word? Jimmy Thomas, are you here? Jimmy, would you come on up here for a second? Would you come on up here for a second, Jimmy? I'm not going to leave you up here for long. It's okay. And Jimmy, how long have you been attending Mount Carmel? 20 years. 20 years. Jimmy is uh, he's a good man. Jimmy, uh, he works up at Masonite. And uh, just over the last number of months, would it be a number of months? About, about last two months. Uh, Masonite has, uh, has cut his hours almost in half. But you know how expensive things are getting on one side and his income's going down on the other side. Uh, he, he humbly admitted to one of the men in our church recently that I'm just not making it. I'm struggling. Struggling emotionally. Struggling a bit spiritually, certainly struggling financially. And one of the men in the church that, that Jimmy trusts uh, sat down with him, and they, they talked through things, and this man, is, he's a worker. He's, it's not, he's not just sitting at home doing nothing. But I read, I read Jimmy's story recently, or, or after that meeting of, of, of everything that, uh, that Jimmy and, and John had talked about, and, and when I was putting this sermon together three times, the Lord said, ask the church to be the church to Jimmy Thomas. And I said, D I don't, I don't. And he said, yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't really. Lord, he said, just ask the church to love someone, to love their neighbor as themselves. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask the church to do it. That doesn't mean that everyone in the church is going to come up and Here's $10, Jimmy. It was, it was literally just in my pocket. It's all I had. That's, that's for you. It's literally for it's, it's nothing, but it, it'll maybe help you a little bit, right? So not everybody's going to be able to do that, and I wasn't even thinking I meant to do that. I just put my hand in my pocket, and there's $10 in there. Um, $5 more than I had in my bank account. $5 more than what he had in his bank account, he said. Okay, so, so, so here's the thing. I think, I think we just heard the word. Now the question is, are we going to be doers? Like, and I don't, I, this isn't like we're going to take, we're not going to take an offering for Jimmy. That's, that's not the plan. Like, this, the plan is, the plan is this. I'm going to ask you just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to say, hey, Spirit of God, how do you want me to love my neighbor as myself? 
And I, and I want you to have the complete freedom to walk out if the Lord says, no, I have something else for you. Okay. I want you to have the complete freedom if, if the Lord says, you go put your hand on his shoulder and just pray for him. Man, if that's all you can do, that's what this man needs sometimes, right? We just need to be reminded that our father is caring for us. There, there, there might be someone who you're going you're to go home and you're going to write a card to Jimmy and he's going to get it on Thursday of this week or Wednesday of this week and he's going to read it and, and he's going to be encouraged that someone else just wrote a, a letter and said, I'm praying for you. There, there might be somebody who's going to walk up and say, I don't have much to give, but can I, can I take you out for some coffee and just encourage each other in, in the Lord with, with the word? I don't, I don't know. Like, I literally have no clue. I am just asking I'm, I feel like I'm being obedient to the Lord and saying, hey, let's just love our neighbor as ourself. Let's love Jimmy as we'd want someone to, to love us. So I'm going to pray. And Aaron, I'm going to ask if the praise team can come up. And, and, and Miss Carolyn, if you could just play a little bit. I want to give everyone just a chance to, just, to, just to say, what does God want me to do? That, that's what I want. Just, I want you to think, what does God want me to do? And then the praise team's going to get up. And if you want to stand there and sing with them, you can sing with them. If you want to come up and talk to Jimmy, you come up and talk to Jimmy. If you want to put a, something in an envelope and drop it for him, if you just want to slip out and, and go take care of things and say, Lord, I don't know who else you're going to give me today, but you, you did not give me freedom to walk up and, and help Jimmy, but, but I want to know who you're going to give me freedom to help today and love someone as myself, right? This, we have, you have freedom. There is no, this is, there is no guilt here. No guilt. You don't have to do a thing. We just take in a moment to love someone as ourselves. So would you bow your heads and would you just simply say, hey, Lord. As you wrote in, as you led Paul to write in, in Philippians about who Jesus is. How, and how our relationships with, with one another, um, that we are to humble ourselves, make ourselves the form of a servant. We're to, we're to be obedient, even if it means to our death. That's all it is. Lord, would you, would you work in this church so that this church can simply put feet to our faith? That we're not just going to listen, but we're going to we're going to be doers. And I pray that, that our ears and eyes would be open everywhere we go, not just this week, but, but as a church, everywhere we go. And that we have freedom that, that if you don't lead us, it's okay. But we have freedom to do whatever you call us to do. Lord, it'd be really cool if there was somebody who prayed, who prayed that you would provide for them in a way that would be awesome so that they can take what you provide for them and give it to someone else. I think that's just so awesome. But Lord, would you just do the work in our hearts and in our lives that you want to do? And would you, would you make it evident to our brothers and sisters here that you're working, that you love, that you're caring for them? And Father, it's not just Jimmy that's in need here. You know there's a lot of people in this room that are in need. Would you open our eyes and ears and, and allow us to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus for your honor and for your glory, because that's what you did for us. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.